This is Unbroken, healing through storytelling. Just to let you know, we have a vodcast on YouTube where you can watch the edited highlights of the episode. And don't forget to subscribe. If you fancy the full audio version, symbols, just keep listening. Oh, and if you've got a second, please give us five stars and a review. It really helps us stand out and get this important message to even more people that need to hear it the most. Meantime, enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Richard Obdi. He is an entrepreneur, film producer and actor. His entrepreneurship spans successful businesses across property development, sport and education. As an actor, Richie has appeared in many TV feature films on Netflix and Amazon and has recently completed a number of international Bollywood films. He believes everyone in life can act and we all take on the role of a character in life. He has found acting to be a successful way of tackling and dealing with deep personal matters. We wear masks which hide the true us and help portray different images. But what lies behind the mask? Often trauma, sadness and darkness. Richie is in the process of removing his own mask and raising awareness of childhood sexual abuse and the impact this has in adulthood, particularly amongst middle-aged males. What does that word unbroken mean to you? I think, um, I mean, for me, unbroken means overcoming major or multiple uh, personal traumas or events in your life that perhaps could have broken you and you come out the other end still fighting still positive still here actually which i think for many people is a success uh, so for me unbroken is really tackling and overcoming some major traumas in, in people's lives really. your story will be the story of many people but it, it takes a lot of courage to speak out publicly and to name it for what it was it's so true when we mm. haven't processed any trauma and another trauma comes along all of our unprocessed trauma just rises to the surface i think it was triggered as i say by some of the other traumas so my parents died i got divorced in the same year living on my own when obviously before i'd lived with my kids so there was a lot of pain and it was really quite difficult to narrow down you know or divide it up into which which gave me most pain but i think fundamentally the underpinning pain in me is is what happened many many years ago kind of way of dealing with it where there is shame of what happened then I blame myself and then I'm in this phase now of name so I call it shame blame name where now I'm naming what happened to me naming the person space put my head above the parapet saying I can name myself as a victim of sexual abuse and then the next phase is kind of reclaim I call it where I'm trying to reclaim my identity reclaim my life from past trauma really. If there's about 10% of the population that have probably had some sexual abuse before they're 16, that's many millions of men probably haven't talked to anyone. So welcome Richie to the show, lovely to have you here. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks Madeline. Thanks for having me on, it's a pleasure. Abs absolute pleasure. So because the show is called Unbroken, the first question I ask every guest is, what does that word unbroken mean to you? I think, um, I mean, for me, unbroken means overcoming major or multiple uh, personal traumas or events in your life that perhaps could have broken you. And you come out the other end still fighting, still positive, still here, actually, which I think for many people is a success. 
so for me, Unbroken is really tackling and overcoming some major traumas in, in people's lives, really. Yeah. And it could be anything. Uh, obviously, I've got uh, personal things that I've overcome, but for, for anyone, it could be social, family, business, um, mental health, anything around those areas that I think would break some people. And fortunately, a majority of people do come through it unbroken. Brilliant. I, I love that response. Every week I get to ask that question and I yeah. every week I get a different response, but they're, <laughs> all, they're all from a place of resilience. So it is yes. brilliant. So I know that you are wanting to remove your mask, shed that mask. Why yeah. are you doing that now? Because you, you're quite new to speaking out about what happened to you, aren't you? Yeah, I think, uh, Madeline, like many people who've had trauma, they don't talk about it. Um, something that happened to me over 40, well, nearly 40 years ago or so, um, I've never tackled. And then I got to a point in my life that I had other personal matters going on, including a divorce, including um, associated relationship problems with my family and children. And it kind of just brought everything to the surface. So all my multiple kind of issues um, that I hadn't addressed popped to the surface. I mean, I think we're all very adept at, putting things away in a box, particularly perhaps perhaps men in particular don't express how they're feeling. There's this kind of thing that you've got to be the tough, resilient man and not admit to any weaknesses or any um, any negative things that happened to you. So it, it was always there. Um, I was uh, the victim of um, some sexual abuse by a male teacher, um, that happened when I was around 13, went on for a couple of years. And I'd never spoken to anyone about it until in my 40s when I got divorced. I was becoming overcome with grief, overcome with pain, not just to do with the divorce, but other other stuff that was coming out. Um, and then it's still taken me probably another five or six years to actually um, speak publicly about it. Um, I did have some therapy where obviously on a private one-to-one basis, it's easier to, to talk about, but very few people know. In fact, my current wife uh, is probably the only person who knows what happened to me. Um, so part of the process of why I want to talk out now is to begin healing for myself, because I think reading up on, on lots of experiences until you, I guess, forgive, uh, come to terms with it and, um, don't blame yourself, uh, it's very hard to heal. So I'm quite happy uh, to try and start a journey where I talk about it publicly, talk about it to other people, and hopefully get particularly men to say, look, this happened to me, I shouldn't be ashamed of it, I shouldn't be um, boxing it off and and not talking about it. It's perfectly okay not to be okay, as they say. Um, so that's where I'm at in my particular journey and why I'm grateful for you to, you know, help me um, in that journey, but also to talk about it and, and raise awareness, really. Well, I think it is brilliant what you're doing. Um, sadly, I know your story won't be the story of just you. Your story will be the story of many people, but it, it takes a lot of courage to speak out publicly and to name it for what it was and there's so many points that you said there that I want to speak about it's so true when we mm. haven't processed any trauma and another trauma comes along all of our unprocessed trauma just rises to the surface and we kind of convince ourselves that we can keep it hidden down like in a jack-in-the-box but it it always comes back and it always yeah. 
even if we don't believe it, it comes back actually when our mind thinks we're ready to face it. So it seems that this was your time for you to face it, mixed in with the divorce and everything else. Yeah, and I think, Madeline, I, I had a sort of personal journey that when, uh, particularly if I've been drinking, this becomes a problem for me. And I think that was becoming a problem in my personal life where because I hadn't dealt with the sexual abuse, mm-hmm. I wasn't fully honest with everyone why I was so upset, why I was getting more emotional, more angry, frustrated and things like that. So I think to be fair to all the people around me who give me support and, and who I love, because they didn't understand why I would just, you know, I'd curl up in a ball, I'd be like a kind of sobbing wreck, really. Um, and yes, of course, divorce is painful, not seeing my kids is painful, but I don't think they could understand why. I just had this real pain um, that they wouldn't understand. So I've tried to address it by being honest and open about what happens so that other people around me can understand why perhaps it's triggered by you know, particularly drinking, which I know a number of people hide behind um, either drugs or alcohol or other uh, um, kind of uh, addictions. So it kind of raised, you know, it kept bubbling to the surface more often than it used to. So I think that's why my my time is now, as it were. Mm-hmm. And when you found yourself caught in these spaces of trauma, because that's really what it is when you're yeah. pulled up in a little fetal position, were you aware of what was going on? Were the memories coming back to you or you just felt utter pain? And No, it was just real pain that is really hard to describe um, unless obviously people have been through it. I've had pain where my parents died, other pain, which is physical pain from injuries and things, but just this feeling of absolute torment and torture that my body was just in pain, really. Um, and it would follow up with a sort of, it would just be my head would be almost exploding with, I'd bang my head and go, get out of my head, these thoughts and these pain, you know. So it was, it's quite traumatic. It doesn't happen as often now. It used to happen alone, which I think is perhaps what leads to a number of people you know, taking things further with suicide and things like that. Um, now it tends to happen with my wife, who then supports me through what's going on. So I think that's a major step because before, particularly when I moved and lived on my own for a while, these periods of trauma would happen. I'd be just alone in a mm-hmm. one-bedroom in my middle age, kind of suffering immense torture. So, Which sounds a very lonely tough place to be so you said you were trying to get these thoughts out of your head can you tell us what the the thoughts were um I think it was I mean I have in the past had suicidal thoughts not that I've taken it to the next stage but it got to the point where I'd be saying the only way to stop this pain which was going on in my body would be to not be here because then I wouldn't physically have to suffer that anxiety and, and such pain mm-hmm. I didn't um, obviously I've not fortunately taken it further for, for a number of reasons but I know many many people do and I think that's what stimulates me to try and encourage men in particular to talk about it because I mean obviously male suicide is the highest number of people who commit suicide particularly in their 40s late 40s um, and I think 80% I read of men who commit suicide, it's because of some 
historic sexual abuse or is a contributor. So I think it's really important that men are able to deal with it. Otherwise, those rates are just keep going up as more and more men realise and maybe come to terms with things in their middle age. And I, I don't know why we, particularly as men in our middle age, address, you know, perhaps trauma that's happened in our past, but it seems to be where perhaps our families have grown up. Perhaps there is more space in our head to to deal with stuff, really. Um, when were you aware that the pain you were experiencing was because of the sexual abuse? When were you aware of what the memories were really about? I think not until not until probably 10, 9, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was triggered, as I say, by some of the other traumas. So my parents died. I got divorced in the same year. Um, living on my own when obviously before I'd lived with my kids. So there was a lot of pain and it was really quite difficult to narrow down, you know, or divide it up into which which gave me most pain. But I think fundamentally the underpinning pain in me is is what happened many, many years ago. Um, but it also sounds like so much loss. And I guess when we think of childhood sexual abuse, it's the loss of your childhood as well. Those years that can never got back and the impact it had on your childhood on your teen years yeah I think I mean it's something I never really thought about as a as I say I just it was something that happened to me I kind of always think there's a lot of worse things that happen to other people so that's not a good thing to do no it's not it's about what's going on with you in that moment and it's never about comparison because it's really I believe you know it's not what happens to us it's what we do with it and and it was really (laughs) It was tough for you, really mm. tough. And I think, you know, I there's certain things that we talk about, anger, shame, kind of um, things like that, which I faced up. I faced all of that by not facing up to it. Um, I was ashamed at what happened to me. And the more you grow up as an adult, you think, well, no one's going to, they won't understand the situation. You know, I, I was a child of the 70s, 80s, where you never talk to your parents about much, if anything. Mm-hmm. And if you did, you you know, it, you probably wouldn't get much support, if any. Um, so I wasn't used to talking to anybody about particular problems. I blame my dad in many ways because he introduced the tutor to my um, education because it was a private tutor. Okay. So, so it didn't take place within a school system. No, it was in a in a in um in a home, my family home, and you know the tutor was remarkably um, manipulative, remarkably um, able to eventually get his teaching times to where my mum and dad would be going out for the back end of it and things like that um so I blamed for many years my dad for putting me into that situation even though my dad was doing it for all the right reasons to help my education um and when I started having therapy I had this really distorted balance of blame where I blame myself probably 80%, my dad 10% and the perpetrator about 10%. And it took me maybe a year of therapy with a a specialist therapist to sort of say, look, the blame is 100% on the perpetrator. So I think that process um, relieved me of a little bit of um, 
blaming myself um, because it's the adult me that I'm blaming. As a child, you can't, you're, it's very hard to fight in a situation. Um, and you can hear just by the little bit of details that you gave us how manipulative he was, how, yeah. how clever in some way that he abused the time. He perfectly timed it, didn't he, so that he would get you alone because he knew what he was up to from the start. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and obviously now as a parent and, and I'm a step-parent as well, you would see the signs of grooming, you would see the signs of something not being right. But obviously as a 13-year-old in a fairly sheltered um, upbringing, you just – and the, there was no awareness in those days particularly. I mean, obviously everyone's much more aware now. Um, but I did, it took me years to shift the blame – and shame sort of issues um and i kind of have these in my journey these sort of four words i use as not a mantra such but a kind of way of dealing with it where there is shame of what happened then i blame myself and then i'm in this phase now of name so i call it shame blame name where now i'm naming what happened to me naming the person um and i suppose putting my head above the parapet and saying I can name myself as a victim of sexual abuse. And then the next phase is kind of reclaim, I call it, where I'm trying to reclaim my identity, reclaim my life from the past trauma, really. Um, so I kind of, those are the stages that I think I'm going through as a um, as a victim of, of what and, and I can hear you speaking about it. These are the stages that you're going through, but how easy or, or difficult is it to do that? Um. I found it really difficult. I'm particularly, I, I'm not very good at talking about emotions with anyone really. And I think part of what happened to me, um, which happens to a lot of people, you just shut your emotions down when when the abuse is going on. You somehow shut off from what's going on and almost wake up at the end of it and pretend it hasn't happened. But I think it's inhibited my emotional ability to sort of talk to people about problems and, you know, things like that. Um, so I found it very difficult to talk to anyone. Um, as I say, none of my friends, none of my family, no other than my wife. And that only came up, as I said earlier, because of my extraordinary reaction to other chores. Um which obviously she... How do you feel now? Because obviously this is a public podcast and I know yeah. you've done a little bit of radio and some other podcasts. How, mm. what has the response been? Have people that you know listened in or have you told them that you... I, yeah, I haven't told them that I've been on it. So I suppose that's me trying to... Maybe, build up to it. Yeah, build up to it. Um, yeah, it's a process, I, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, it's like everything. If, if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict standing up and saying to people this is what i am this is who i am is really uh rewarding and i think that's the step i'm trying to get to now really uh where it's i can trying to you are doing this because okay, yes. you are you're stepping into your shame and you're you're naming and you're blaming you're not blaming yourself anymore and it is uncomfortable i can hear the un discomfort in your voice but you're still doing mm -hmm. it so you're you're feel the fear and do it anyway kind of thing Yes, hopefully. And hopefully it will get easier and easier the more people you talk to. But And I do think, you know, the media have a part to play, whether it's social media or podcasts like yours or, or printed media. 
to make people more aware that particularly any sexual abuse or rape or male sexual abuse, that they are the victims and it's fine to admit that that happened to you. Because I still think I, I grew up in a, a sporting arena where I played f- uh, football and, and cricket professionally for a while. And you just wouldn't say anything that, that happened to you because people would laugh at you. And even now I've been in the pub with with certain male friends where if if on TV people talk about sexual abuse, particularly men, they just laugh it off. They're like, oh, you know, and I think that's part of my journey is trying to, trying to say, look, this is what happened. It's not a shame. Uh, you shouldn't be shamed into not being able to talk about it. Absolutely. Why do you think men do that? They kind of ridicule trauma. I don't know. Trauma? Is it just I like think a defence mechanism? I think it's a defence like... mechanism and part of a male bravado that they're not probably deep down they are more sympathetic, but it's a sort of male bravado, I think, because uh, I'm, I'm sure if you talk individually, people are, have got a lot more empathy. Um, but I think collectively, men are perhaps, <laughs> they're just not very good at um, showing any emotional sympathy towards certain things, really. Um, I mean, this for me came up probably when the Jimmy Savile you know, um, expose they happened before that or around the same time there was a lot of footballers who came out and said they were abused. Yes, I've spoken to a couple of them on yeah. the show, Steve Waters and Gary oh, yeah. Cliff, who very bravely went on the Victoria That's right. Derbyshire yeah. show and, and spoke all about the, ex- the abuse yeah. they experienced. So I think that helped because then, you know, male people would look at other men and see, well, look, these are hard, tough footballers. It can happen to anyone. I mean, Paul Stewart, I know, yeah. came out and did a public kind of thing about uh, what happened to him. Um, and I've been in touch with him and he gave me some support and things like that. So I think the more of that happens, uh, the better, really. And I mean, that loops back to why I want to try and raise awareness and talk about it, because I'm sure... If there's about 10% of the population that have probably had some sexual abuse before they're 16, that's many millions of men probably haven't talked to anyone. Yeah, well, they say, I think statistically, I mean, Scotland, it might be slightly different, but in the UK, it's maybe one in four women and maybe one in six men. But I yeah. know that's just what's reported. And I yeah. have been gang raped at 13 and three more times before I was 18 and never reported any no. of them. So that's... I don't think those statistics are true. Uh, from my female friends, I don't know of anyone that's never not experienced inappropriate behaviour from being flashed at to being, you know, no consent to rape. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's the same with a lot of men as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, that's that's one of the biggest challenges for me is still be able to say to people this happened and talking to them about it, apart from maybe when I've been drinking, I intimate about it, I get to a certain point, but I'd never... Express it. So that gives you a bit of bravado, does it, to kind of... Well, I wouldn't say bravado, I want but to say it, but I don't want to say it. Yeah, too. it's probably more I'm upset and they can't understand why I'm getting upset and associate it with probably, you know, my divorce and because, my children. But Because a lot um, of people will use alcohol or drugs, I know that I did it myself, to kind of self-medicate, yeah. to numb out, to not think, to squish it down even further inside. But it, it does have a habit of uh, coming back up to meet us, really, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, that's why I think, you know, I read read some of your um, books and articles and things, and I think 
the only way to deal with it is to move forward, address it, not squash it away. You're right. I mean, it's interesting that um, the footballers speaking out have given you courage, but you are now going to give other people courage because I do believe that that courage is contagious. And when they hear, we can hear that it's tricky for you to speak out. You know, it's going to be, but they'll think if you can do it, well, yeah, I can do it as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, the whole, the intro that you did about masks and acting, I think obviously, because that's partly my profession among other things, but I do believe there's lots and lots of people out there with a public mask that we don't know what's behind it. And, if we could start to get more people to be the real person, not the pretend people that they need to be in society to either fit in or to, um, because they haven't tackled it. Um, the world's got to be a better place and a healthier place for people mentally and um, their well-being. Really. And I think it's interesting because we all really um, are very capable of wearing a mask, whatever our issues, and it is unusual to really see the the real person but I think the work that you're doing is like as a therapist I kind of used to look at therapy like an onion you know we'd remove one layer or one mask and then another layer and then another layer and you are really working that process yeah I think when I had therapy before there were so many layers of onion to peel away um none of them were ever particularly tackled sufficiently so that's why I focused on the abuse as perhaps the one that if I could address that, the other layers would perhaps not need addressing in quite the same detail, really, or depth. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It there. is, because we think we've done enough work for that and then somehow it can come back and go, oh, there's, there's a little bit more. So now for me, if ever I get triggered, I kind of now thank my triggers, which I never would have done in the past because I think, okay, you're just showing me that there's a bit more residue left behind in my systems that I need to work and to just cleanse just to clean it all up yeah yeah um, but I, th- I think this process of what you're doing is going to be therapeutic for you I yes really well I said to my wife this morning when we when I said I was coming on um it's a therapeutic process and cathartic for me because uh, I think she worries it would bring up memories again and it's certainly easy to talk about it the more I talk about it, it um and uh, hopefully every time I do talk, either in public or privately, it's going to be um, easier again in the future. Um, it does seem to be a struggle when perhaps if I talk to somebody close to me that I love, because I still have this feeling that I've let them down or I've let myself down. And, and how how have you let them down? In what way? I think by... Um, well, if, it, if, if I go back to immediate family it's probably a feeling that I wasn't strong enough to deal with it because that's the adult me thinking I should be stronger um, and now if you really me. were to go backwards in time what could you have done differently I, I don't think I could have done anything no and I think that's the big that's a big kind of um, thing that you need to be aware of really mm-hmm. um, and obviously I can see that now the more you talk about it um, and therapy certainly helped identify the adult me and the child me and differentiating differentiating between the two I guess it's just making sure when I talk to people sometimes they don't have that same level of understanding that that we do because we've been through some therapy and a bit more understanding of the process so um 
Yeah, I think um, that's the, the main challenge for me is to talk to people without feeling that feeling of shame again, really. It is, um, I kind of feel like I want to say that you need to have some more compassion for your younger self. You know, it wasn't yes. their, their responsibility to make everybody feel okay about what happened to you. That's what I get a sense of what you're trying to say. You don't want to cause them hurt or you don't want to cause them any discomfort by hearing what happened. And yeah. I, I totally get that as well. Yeah. I think obviously maybe because my parents died, it gave me a chance to look at it and address it as well, because I don't think I would have wanted them to know what had happened to me. Um, they never knew before they passed No, they away. never knew, no. Um, and maybe that was a bit of a trigger point for me trying to address it and tackle it. Um I know death is often a trigger point for people to deal with stuff or things come up, and particularly from your childhood. But I think I'd have found it really difficult talking to them about it because I, would, I don't want to shift blame onto them because I think my dad would feel terrible about putting me in that situation. Um, so maybe, um, maybe the fact that they're no longer with us has made it easy for me to, you know, to talk about it publicly. Mm -hmm. um, and what has it done to you when you've spoken a few times now that you've spoken publicly? How, I know you haven't told anyone that you've been on the radio or done the podcast, but how does it feel for you? Does it shed a bit more weight? Does it feel a bit lighter for you? Yes. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I, you know, I think it's, it's probably the next few times I do it, I will be able to say to people, hey, why don't you, tune in and take a look i mean i think some people probably can access the recorded versions of things i've done and that sort of thing after the event um i suppose also there's that i feel comfortable talking when i don't know who's listening mm -hmm. um, uh, well it? it does go out to about 95 countries yes. at the moment so it will okay, be listened well, to a few people not to put any I'm pressure on you <laughs> no no but if i don't know that people i know are there listening it's more easy to probably be open about things uh, i suppose if i knew all my nearest and dearest were huddled around a laptop listening it might be difficult for me to be a bit you know, to and be I'd love open, to, to fast forward maybe in a year or five years can you imagine that everybody you know has heard the podcast they all know what happened to you how would you like it to be then you know what could you imagine where you'd be at in a year or five years uh, I guess I'd like to be at a position where most of the pain has gone from a day-to-day -day basis and I think I think you're right sharing it making people aware of what happened will, will certainly help that but I think also importantly I'd hope those people would then look at their own personal traumas if something has happened in their life I think that'd be I'd see it as a real achievement if they could go away and look at that or if they've got family members be more empathetic or just think a little bit more empathetically towards all of us who've been through stuff they probably don't know about. So we are kind of coming to the end of the show, yes. so I just wondered, have you got anything else that you've left that you would like to say, or do you have any advice for anyone who is listening right now? Maybe they're struggling with a, a secret, a shameful secret that they can't speak about. What would you say to them right now? My advice would be find somebody you're comfortable talking to. I think talking it's the best way to deal with with personal trauma um i don't think you can move forward till you've talked to somebody and it could be 
an independent person like a therapist or counsellor or a trusted family member that you know is going to give you the support because it is quite broad it, it will take a lot of energy and a lot of um, pain for whoever you talk to because I think they share your pain but certainly talking to somebody and getting help and one advice is to don't blame yourself and I think that's where you can see I've struggled over the years because um, it's, it's not your fault and no one else should ever think it's your fault. I think no, that's my, my advice. Yeah. So good at, at giving other people advice because we still will say, yes, don't blame yourself, it's not your fault. And yet sometimes we still fall into, oh, but if I had just done this and if I had just said that, and then, but yeah, don't blame yourself is 100% yeah. the perfect way to end this interview. I hope you take that on board and really, really hear that and everyone else that's listening as well. So. Richie, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and taking that step to share your story and bring it to the light. It is really needed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Madeline, for having me. And hopefully you'll see a lot more of me in other, other ways as well. I hope so. Thanks I hope I can. Good. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Unbroken. Healing through storytelling. If you haven't already, go on, download, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. It really helps us get this important and life-changing message out to as many people as possible. There is already a selection of fantastic episodes to choose from and a brand new one coming soon. Unbroken. Healing through storytelling. Playing now on all the main platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher for Android, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and here. Play Unbroken, the podcast with Madeline Black.